uh, if you would open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, and we'll go before the Lord and pick it up in verse 31 where we left off last time. Uh, Father, we come before you now, Lord, and we ask that you would just, uh, again, do that great work in our hearts, Father. We're thankful for gathering us together, Lord. We look forward to all that you want to say to us and uh, how you want to move your, in your Holy Spirit through our lives, through our minds, our hearts, Lord. Um, you just want to draw us close, and we thank you for that, Lord. And may we continue to receive all that you want to do, um, Father, as we Look to your word this morning. Lord, you've preserved it. You know what we need to hear uh, and when we need to hear it, Father. And you're so faithful to always do that. And we ask that you would continue to bless us now with your presence, Lord. Move by your spirit in this place, in our hearts, Lord, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we left off last time with talking about, uh, you know, the rich young ruler. Remember, he was coming to Jesus and he wanted to know... Uh, what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. And uh, we know that he went away sad because Jesus said, listen, what's, what's really holding you back is the things of this world. And in his case, it was his money and his power uh, that uh, really the riches, what riches brought into his life. He, he wasn't willing to let that go. And he went away sad. Uh, we were told. He heard what he needed to do. He asked Jesus. He, he, he wanted to know, but really, you know, he wasn't really ready to let go of the things that were holding him back or the thing that was holding him back in his case uh, were, were his wealth that brought all that wealth brings. And, so, and then Jesus started talking to the people and, of course, to the disciples. And in verse 25, it says, for it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And verse 26 tells us, And those who heard it said, Well, who, who then can be saved? But he said, Things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And then Peter said, uh, See, uh, we have left all and followed you. And so Jesus replied to him and said, Surely I'd say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. So again, I just I, I repeat that a little bit so we have a little bit of a background on where we're going uh, again this week because I, I believe this uh, the rest of the story, um, really kind of, uh, and what happens next is all part of that same, uh, uh, that the same line of thinking and that same thing. Uh, you know, he wanted to be released, uh, you know, the rich man, but he, he just wasn't willing to do it. And, um, you know, he just, he wasn't willing to do it. And then we'll compare it to somebody who was willing to do it. And so, in keeping with that same thing, so he says, I'm going to, you know, don't worry, you're, you're, you're never losing out anything with me. Okay, the bottom line is, when you, when you trust me, when you walk in faith, when you do what I've called you to do and live how I called you to live, you never, ever lose out. There's never a lose in all of this in the sense of, uh, you know, I gave this up and, you know, it's, it's, that's, it's all downhill from then. You know, his promises are so much... Greater than that, of course, those of us that have done that and, and, and do that just understand that to be so true in our lives. But 
after this, he, verse 31 tells us, then he took the 12 aside and said to them. So again, now he's just kind of, you know, remember he's, he's with a big crowd. He's, he's heading down into Jerusalem. We talked about that and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But he wants to take these guys aside and, uh, you know, talk to them about, you know, because, you know, wait a minute, if this guy can't be saved, how can somebody be saved? Because they thought riches and, and prestige and, and all health all came because of God's blessing, because you're doing something right. They had kind of the Job's friend syndrome, which a lot of, you know, people still kind of link today. Well, if you're doing all this, then you must be doing something right. And that's why all these good things are happening to you. And so they're kind of like, well, wait a minute, that's kind of what we think you know, it should be, and Jesus corrected that. No, it's not true. And then he wanted to explain a little bit more to the 12 and give them more detail. And he says, yeah, listen, the, the rich young ruler, uh, you know, uh, you know, who came to me and, you know, it, it's all about what you have or who you are in this world, the things that people chase. Yes, they're going to chase and do all those things. And yes, those blessings. Uh, but he says, I, I want you to understand there are blessings for those who live sacrificially, for me, absolutely. And there is, of course, the reward of eternal life. But I want to put something more importantly in front of you so that you don't just focus on, on this. Um, uh, again, don't let your pride puff you up because of what you have done for the kingdom. Okay, you left this and you left this and you left this. And, and Peter said, you know, we've left everything to follow you. And then Jesus said, yep. And I'm, don't worry, I'm going to take care of it. I got it. I, you're, you're going to only be blessed in this life, but eternal life. Okay, don't get all uh, puffed up on your pride or, or what you've done and what you've left behind uh, and what you have in the kingdom. And, and, and imagine, again, by this time, there's this huge entourage following Jesus as he's heading into Jerusalem. And his fame is growing as true. You know, he is more famous and that puts them more in the spotlight. But he pulled them aside and wanted to get their focus back because he says to him, and the rest of verse 31, he says, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And all things that are written about uh, by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon they will scourge him and kill him. Listen, I know, you know, it's great and things are going well in the sense that the crowds are following. And yes, I've encouraged you that you're not like that rich young ruler and the guy that's distracted on who you are, or what you have, or, or, you know, anything of those things along that life. And yes, there's blessings associated with, but let me just put your eyes focused on what's coming right down the line here. Uh, and this is what's going to be happening quick. You know, we're heading up. Uh, we're going to Jerusalem. Uh, it's uh, about 15 miles from Jericho, as we'll all put a map up here in a little bit. But I just want you to remind you, uh, I'm going to my death. And my death is not going to be quick. And it's going to involve much suffering and much humiliation. Yet... For all that it's going to happen and all terrible it's going to be, um, all of this has been foretold and written by the prophets, Jesus said, and all that has to come to pass. And I put this quote up because I think it, it kind of just 
hits on those points pretty quickly and concisely of what he was moving into and what the prophets did have to say uh, about what was going to happen to Jesus. And it says this, it says, He has been studying these scriptures since childhood, referring to Jesus. He knew them by heart. He knew there would be a triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which is Zechariah 9.9, the betrayal of Jesus in Psalm 41, the cross and all of its terrors in Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, his death and burial in Psalm 16, his resurrection in Jonah 2 and Matthew 12, uh, 40, his ascension back home to heaven in Psalm 24, and his enthroned glory in Psalm 45, 6, and 7, to be followed by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Joel chapter 2, and his Melchizedek, Melchizedekian priesthood in Genesis 14 and Psalm 110. He knew every detail. And so, you know, when Jesus said, I'm going to go and everything that's going to happen, the prophets have foretold is going to come to pass. And again, I think that's just kind of a good summary of the, the events that were going to come to pass. And, um, you know, all the things that were going to happen. He said, listen, it's not going to be uh, a, a, a thing... Uh, uh, of just walking in there and the red carpet is going to roll out and everybody's going to receive me and everything is going to go well. No, remember, I am heading into um, what will be a very painful and slow death. I think most of us probably aren't concerned about dying that much. I mean, death, we realize as believers, will be right in the presence of the Lord. I don't know about you. It's kind of more or less how I die. I just want it to be quick. Uh, a shark attack out in Manresa Beach <laughs> doesn't sound like a, a quick, quick way to, to go, right? They bite off part of it and you slowly bleed to death or, you know, some something that happens to you where you kind of slowly ebb away and die. I mean, most of us are like, uh, you know, Lord, if it's just going to take me just, you know, I want to lights, lights off and then lights back on again uh, kind of a thing. Um, and, uh, you know, just, just don't make it a slow, painful death. But Jesus knew it was going to be a slow, painful, and not only that, because most people, if you have a slow and painful death, it's, it's uh, you know, people have great sympathy for you, right? Oh, man, the guy's going through a slow, painful death. But, you know, it wasn't going to be that way for Jesus. There was going to be a slow, painful, and humiliating people putting him down and mocking him till his final breath, as most of us know the, that story of uh, what we call Good Friday or, you know, when Jesus is, is hanging on the cross. Um, and he said, that's what it's going to be. Now, when you think of that, just to step back for a second, isn't it amazing to remember that Jesus knew how horrible and bad it would be and yet he was willing to do it. He was willing to go through all this. He knew it was going to happen. It's one thing, you know, um, if, you know, you kind of all of a sudden you're in it and then, you know, but knowing all that was going to happen and yet, you know, he's willingly heading to Jerusalem knowing what's going to happen and he did it for love. And I think that's an important thing we need to remember. You know, Jesus did this for love. Um, again, um, 
And he's telling them, uh, listen, I know what's going to happen. I know how humiliating and how horribly suffering it's going to be and how difficult it's going to be. But I'm telling, you know, but I'm willing to do that to show my obedience to the Father and my love for you guys. Just don't forget that. Don't forget that. And it's not the end of the story, right? This isn't the end of the story because most of the time when you read uh, the the beginning words of verse 33, they will scourge him and kill him. So most of the time uh, when you hear that or you read that or you think that, uh, you know, okay, uh, uh, he's going to die. I'm going to die, he's going to say, and then that's it, right? (laughs) Game over. Uh, You know, time has expired. Uh, However, you know, you want to metaphorically put all that, right? It's done with death. That's it. It's the end. And, and, you know, if he had left off there, most people said that that's it. You know, your impact on anything Jesus after that is just over with, right? It's, and, and that's typically, you know, uh, obviously the way we feel. And, of course, there's a lot, actually, Old Testament verses that, you know, talk about that. You know, even David crying out and Solomon in his misery and Job in his misery. And, you know, when people are really down, it's like, Lord, if you let me die, um, you know, who's going to be around to praise you? I can't really pray. You know what I mean? I can't do the things that I want to do or that, you know, uh, I want to happen because death's going to kind of get in the way. Again, that eternal life wasn't as necessarily as clear as it was after, of course, uh, Jesus. But um, they understood that. And that's the way you know, people think about it today as it will, as it well, as it was in this day. Remember, Marty, I know we're running out. I can't, that, that mind thing is just yeah. getting old. Huh? <laughs> we <were> talking, <laughs> sorry, we were talking about that before church. Anyway, so, you know, um, we think that's the end. It'll be it, death and over. But then Jesus finishes it and says, in verse 33, the last sentence there, and the third day he will rise again. Listen, I know in your mind you think death, that's it. I'm going to be tortured and it's going to be a punishing death and it's going to be a humiliating death and it's, it's going to look horrific for all that's going to happen. And again, you know, uh, Isaiah 50, end of 52 and 53 talk about, you know, what Jesus, um, you know, is going to be unrec- He's going to be beaten so badly he's, he would be unrecognizable. Uh, if you knew what he looked like before and you saw him afterwards, you, you would say, that's just not the same guy. Uh, that, that's how badly beaten he was going to be. I know we're not used to seeing that in a lot of pictures when Jesus is on the Via Dolorosa or the way of the cross or going up to Golgotha or Calvary and he's hanging on the cross and you see all these pictures and all these renderings and artwork and all this kind of stuff, but it, it just never represents what the Bible really says. I mean, you, you would just see, you know, at, at, at most you see a little blood maybe coming from his hands, wrists, or some area there, or his feet, uh, but that, that's just, that's not biblically what happened. He was beat unrecognizably. Um, you know, Patrick, uh, our uh, retired UF, U, UFC fighter, ultimate fighting champion yeah <laughs> i knew that <laughs> but you know uh and and you know he was teaching teaching ethan some of that stuff and still is when he comes over and has a great time um and we watch his videos sometimes and sometimes we watch the usc and i don't know about you i i personally don't i didn't really like boxing with the big fat gloves but when you see ufc 
it's just a brutal sport. I, I just, just personally, I mean, if you like it, that's fine. I don't have any arguments with that. But for me, it just kind of, I just, man, to see somebody pumble somebody else until they can't take it anymore and they, <laughs> they tap out, right? And, and um, I forgot, was it Diaz that was just fighting last weekend? And, and uh, you know, he had, he got clocked. I forgot how he got hit. It was an elbow or whatever it was right in his eye. And it was like all puffed up and he was all bloody. And he, he ended up winning this fight or he lost. I can't remember anyway. But one of the, uh, you know, there was a couple main ticket fights there and he just look at the guy afterwards and he was just, you know, he just looked like he'd been through three rounds of UFC <laughs> heavyweight division, right? I mean, just anything kind of goes pretty much in that. And, you know, so all this is to say, you know, picture boxing or some other sport like that. And, you, you know, you've seen them at the end of the fight and you kind of see what they look like. And then can you imagine that, like, that's just a down payment on what happened with Jesus. Imagine, you know, they just didn't stop because the ref, you know, said that's it, you know, or, or the, or the, the coach threw in the towel and hey, we got to stop the fight here or the guy tapped out, you know, like my, my arm's going to come out of its socket here any second here, or I can't take the twisting of my leg as they tap out or, you know, uh, what, however they go out, it, it continues. There's no tapping out. There's no throwing in the towel. There's no ref calling it. There is just continuing to beat you until you can't literally walk the way of the cross or paraded through Jerusalem, or if you like the Latin Via Dolorosa, right? Uh, you know, the way of the cross. He couldn't carry the, the cross beam uh, to go out there. You know, they had to get somebody, the Cyrene, to, to carry it. No, he just couldn't even do it because he couldn't even barely walk, right? Um, so that that's what he was up against, and yet he did that for love. And he said, even though it'll look like I am a dead man walking, which literally he, he, he would, he says, listen, it won't be the end. It won't be the end because after three days, I am going to rise again. You think death is the end? Yeah, amen is right. Thank you. That's a good one. Death is the end. It's no, no, no. Yeah, it's going to look like the end. And I know normally you think it's the end and that's it. There's no more influence or effectiveness on this, uh, on this earth again. Um, and, but that's not the case. I am going to rise from the dead on the third day. So he, he tells them that. Now, it's great. Like Thomas says that, amen, right? And we are all kind of, I think, agreeing in our heart with that. But the disciples, in verse 34, says <laughs> this, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. So Jesus tells them again. Now, you, you guys, we've been on this long journey through the Gospel of Luke, and and, um, you know, we've been spending quite a bit of time in, in the gospel here. But, you know, as you've read them over, as we've gone through the gospels before a few times, and as we talked about a number of times, Jesus has told them these things before. And not just once or twice, but he has told them a number of times. I didn't count them, but it's a number of times. And it just seems like every time he says it, it's just kind of, unbelievable to him to them now it could be uh, one of the things were that notice in verse 32 it says that he'll be delivered to the Gentiles 
Now, one of the things that could have probably made them scratch their head is, well, wait a minute, the, the Romans don't really care too much about you, Jesus. As a matter of fact, the experience that we've had with the Romans, specifically the Roman centurions, have all been positive. They, they wanted Jesus to come. They, they showed Jesus respect. They showed more faith than the Jews, even Jesus would say. Uh, and, and so, wait a minute, we really don't have too much of a problem with the Romans. They don't really care what Jesus is doing. The people that really care about what Jesus is doing are the Jewish leadership, and they hate him. I mean, I can kind of see, you know, death coming from them because they have certainly threatened it. And I think they understood that they hated him to the point where they would like to kill him. But that would come via stoning, right? That's how Jews put a person to death, that was just part of the law. You didn't, you know, you, you stoned them to death. That was the death sentence. Now, not that that was a pretty death, but it was, a, it, you know, it was certainly a lot quicker than, um, than what Jesus would endure. And so I can imagine, you know, you know, scratching my head a little bit, thinking, oh, the Gentiles are going to do it. Wait a minute, the Gentiles, we've had some good reaction with the Gentiles, which would be the Romans, the non-Jewish people, right? Uh, and for the most part, the Roman occupiers there. But, but you know, this, and, and, and then, but I just don't, I don't understand that. But I don't think we should be too hard on them, because I, I find myself like this too, right? Maybe you find yourself like me. And quite frankly, I know you guys good enough that you are like me. <laughs> you know, right? The Lord tells us to, let's put it in perspective, maybe of something that happens to us personally, right? You know, if the Lord tells us to do something that I really don't like, or I really don't want to hear, um, uh, and then, you know, it seems like he tells us something, but we, we, we just love to confuse the issue after that, right? He makes it clear to us, but then we're like, well, I don't, but I don't know. I, and we could kind of make this uh, you know, this whole kind of thing look murky and try to water it down some way or feel like we're confused about it. Because typically when he, you know, when he talks to us or speaks to us or even when we ask him something and he gives us an answer that we're not crazy about, we tend not to want to embrace that, that you know, what he's telling us. Uh, it's just kind of our reaction. It's our sinful nature. It's our human nature, if you want to put it in that, those terms, right? To 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 want to, you know, Maybe not outright reject it because we know it's wrong, but what we try to do is like, okay, I heard that, but I'm sure there's more, you know, to it. <laughs> that can't really be the answer because we really don't like the answer. I, I, I just remember distinctly many years ago, I, I, I went to a pastor I, I, I really respected. He was a very older man at that point. And, you know, there were some decisions in my life and one particular decision that was, I thought was very important, one of the bigger decisions and I, and I prayed beforehand. I said, Lord, you know what? Uh, I, I got in to see him. And he was a pretty uh, well-known pastor. But it was, you know, the Lord made a way that I could I can go in and see him. And I, I was praying beforehand, Lord, uh, Lord, use this person to, to, to give me clear direction. And I asked others to pray for me. I know others were praying for me too. And, and so I went in and I met with this person and I kind of even hedged my bet a little bit because I figured this guy was going to give me this answer because I had known him and I listened to his teachings for years and years and years. And I kind of figured, you know, this is the direction he's going to go. And I'm telling you, he came out in a completely different way and said, no, this is what, this is, you know, what I believe you know, the Lord's saying. And this is what, you know, biblically why. 
And I remember walking out of there stunned. And, and I remember some good friends calling me up afterwards and saying, well, what did he say? And I said this, and he said, well, there you have your answer. And I, but you know what my answer to that was? No, it just can't be, you know, oh, that, that can't really be really what the Lord's will. You know, I instantly wanted to, after, you know, praying and asking for this person to, you know, to give me the, the direction from you, Lord, and, and, you know, putting all this together and all this behind this and leading up to that. But, you know, the bottom line is I just didn't like the answer. And so I wanted to doubt them. And thankfully, you know, we had good people and, and, and that's why it's so important to be involved in church and be around believers and, and all all those things is because you know you make those kind of friendships and that, that and they'll tell you you know hey listen you know what we prayed and and you prayed and this is what we asked for and this is what we got and now you're going to doubt it and sometimes we need to hear that and i think you know that was kind of going on with these guys they they just didn't like the answer and they didn't like the idea of jesus being gone they certainly didn't like the idea of him suffering and dying and not being there what are we going to do if you die i mean i think we can all understand that and quite frankly they were blinded by their own feelings and their own desire for that not to happen and uh, you know they they are uh, seeing but they're blinded it says you know they just they couldn't understand these things they just were blinded by um, their desire not to really want to receive what Jesus said was going to happen well I imagine this was happening because he was walking as we said towards Jerusalem because that's what he just said right we're going into Jerusalem at verse 31 he's heading towards Jerusalem we know he's coming up to what we call the triumphal entry that's coming up in the next chapter chapter 19 and so uh, it, it tells us is he probably pulled them aside as they were walking towards the city of Jericho because verse 35 tells us then it happened as he was coming near Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the road begging. Now, I'll put up the maps here so you get a little idea of where Jesus has come from as we follow the, the gospel narratives here. From way up top in Capernaum, made his way along the Galilee, went a little bit into the Sumerian uh, area of, of the nation, then walked along the Jordan River, and that is coming to Jericho, and then ultimately to Jerusalem at the bottom of the map. Here's a little bit maybe a bigger map that's a little clearer, and we can see some of the stops that he made along the way. But right now, he is just coming into, or just, you know, um, coming up to Jericho, which is the, that city there. Now, um, remember, this is about 15 miles from Jerusalem, but remember, Dead Sea is the lowest place on earth, right? And Jerusalem, I think, is like 23, don't quote me exactly, but 2,300 feet above sea level, but the Dead Sea is less than a thousand feet below sea level and uh i don't know you can probably look it up on google real quick probably but anyway it's like 1200 1500 feet below sea level jericho is about a thousand feet below sea level so you're talking a 3200 feet elevation change between jericho and jerusalem and it's a whole different um uh climate uh you know you kind of have the desert and that whole thing in jericho although jericho has a uh, it was uh, we call it an oasis in the desert because it had water 
And Jerusalem has a kind of completely different climate down there. So it's, even though it's 15 miles, it's quite a hike to get to Jerusalem, and it's quite a change in weather. And, you know, if you've ever hiked around or driven around, uh, it's like kind of going from here over to Gilroy in the summer, right? It can be like 65 here, and you get over the hill, and it's like 95 or 105. <laughs> I think the most we've ever seen is like 40 degrees or 38 degree change. I mean, literally just going less than... 15, less than it is to Jerusalem, to Gilroy on the other side of that hill is like 10 miles at the most, I think, and um, maybe even less than that. And you get the idea, okay? So they're going through there. He's eventually heading up that way. I'm not sure why I'm giving you all that information. It's not really relevant to what we, to, to, what, to the story here, but he's coming into Jericho. Back to our story here. He's uh, traveling through that, and again, um, just think of it this way. He's coming into the city, and here is a person that's blind, and obviously in, in that culture in that day, as it would be difficult in this day, although um, you know somebody without sight would typically get some government benefits that would at least provide probably housing. I don't know, Thomas, with all the housing you do, I don't know if there's, hand, I'm sure there's handicapped people, right, in all those houses, the county houses there. And then, you know, you would get something to live on, and they provide things. And there's a lot of things. I know my dad, you know, has macular degeneration, and he... Um, pretty much is blind for the most part um, now and there's just a lot of services available uh, even to him at his age to turn 91 yesterday right yeah anyway um, so uh, um, you know in that day you're you're that's it you survived on whatever people gave you you know whatever people provide so on the main road in and out of a city is an ideal place to to, to get people to give to you where the most traffic is, uh, i.e. today when we leave the Target shopping center, you typically see somebody asking for uh, for something. And they used to stand on the, the left-hand turn lanes and all that stuff where traffic would have to be stopped because people, you know, now they've kind of outlawed that. But, you know, uh, you, right? You understand, they still do the same thing today. When people want something, they try to go where the most traffic is. They're not going to stand out in the slew trail asking people for money because, you know, you're going to get a handful of people come by in a few hours, right? So this guy's doing the same kind of thing. Just that's the picture I want to get to you here. Now, um, he's, he's out there. He's blind. Now, Matthew tells us, and I'm not going to go into what all the other gospels say. I try to stick with where we are. But just so you know, Matthew tells us there was actually two men there. Um, one is actually named in the gospel of Mark. His name is Bartimaeus. So blind Bartimaeus might sound familiar to you because the gospel of Mark actually gives us more detail than any of the other gospels about this story here. So we know there was two guys. We know one was named uh, uh, Bartimaeus, and and the reason we probably know his name is because he is the only one that will follow Jesus after uh, the miraculous work that Jesus does in his life. And so they got to know the guy by name. The other guy was, uh, I believe, was healed and wasn't blind anymore, but he didn't choose to follow Jesus or did for a short period of time, knowing where Jesus was headed. And so we know one over the other, uh, probably because, again, he got to know the disciples and he was around after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. But put yourself in this guy's story now without jumping too far ahead. I mean, the guy's life has been difficult, to say the least. Actually, probably terrible. I mean, he's begging for some just to get enough to eat for that day. He's hoping he gets enough for a meal. Now, I'm not sure if these guys had a place to go or not to go um, at night, but typically if they had a place to go and a family around them, they wouldn't probably have the need for begging because they would have 
you know, brothers and sisters and families and resources and stuff that would take care of them. And so most likely these guys are in a pretty dire, if not very dire situation. And they're just begging enough to get food for the day. And if people didn't give you anything, whether it's food or some sort of money, you know, you would go to sleep hungry. And imagine that happening after a few days. And then imagine trying to get around. I mean, you know how our, our city and our county and our nation is, you know, putting in uh, those, you know, uh, accommodation ramps at each sidewalk. And if you go to any of the state highways in our city, which is 152 and the 129, they're still owned by the state. And you notice that you push the crosswalk button, it's got a little audio thing. So if you... If you're visually impaired, they call it, or, or blind, uh, uh, that you can hear that the light, you know, is green for you to cross or it's, it's not green for you to, to walk safely across the crosswalk. Imagine not having any of that. As a matter of fact, there's, no, there's nothing set up for you to help you in any way. So I just want to kind of give you this, uh, you know, just think of the misery and the difficulty and the hardship and the heartache and the difficult life that they're facing and have faced maybe since you know, a very young age. So then imagine that all of a sudden they hear something um, that, that maybe they never heard before in, in all the years they've been at Jericho. This sound of just this huge multitude going through like maybe a, a parade or a, 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 an army unit marching, you know, uh, or a parade of soldiers or a large group uh protesting something, you know, walking down the big street like you see on the news and so forth. Imagine something like that that you never heard before. All of a sudden you hear just so many people coming down this this road going into town that it's just, you know, like, you, you know, all of a sudden you've, you hear this. And obviously your hearing is very acute, being blind. And these blind guys in verse 36 says, and hearing a multitude passing by, he asked, now, and it refers to the singular, and I believe Bartimaeus here, but there's two guys. He asked, you know, what it meant. So he's asking, what's going on? What's happening? What, what is going on uh, with all these people? And again, probably never heard a crowd like this ever pass through the city. And however you want to picture it, you know, it's just rather than, you know, two or three or four, ten people maybe coming down the road and maybe a little busier during the holidays when there are little larger groups of people coming in. But now he's hearing something he's probably never heard before. What's going on? He's asking what it meant, or we'd say maybe today, what's going on? And so somebody answers in verse 37. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. So Jesus was coming through the city. Now remember again, uh, he's blind, and blind people typically don't travel much at all. In fact, they travel as very little as possible, particularly in that day, because it's just hard to get by. I mean, just getting to maybe where he slept was a pretty big event. Having somebody lead you, not tripping over anything. I remember not having smooth sidewalks or paved streets. Uh, you know, just every single obstacle that you possibly could imagine. It's like, think of a hiking trail almost, and trying to lead somebody through a hiking trail you've been on. It just would be very difficult if you couldn't see. So they typically didn't travel very far, and you'd understand why. So how he knew of Jesus then, 
Just think of this now. They're telling him Jesus is coming by and, and he's going to know what who he is, but it's because he's heard it from other people, not because he has some great facts behind him or he did some diligent uh, uh, research on it or went to hear Jesus, you know, sermons a few times or fought, saw him do this great healing here or doing any of this. It's not from any sort of personal understanding or research. It was just things that he heard from others. So when he hears that Jesus is coming by, Jesus of Nazareth, um, and he only is going off things that he heard others say about him, what does he do? Well, I heard about this guy, right? And I've heard he's done amazing things. Maybe some people were critical. Maybe some people were kind. Maybe some people were indifferent. You don't know what the opinions he heard. But what he does in verse 38 is he cries, cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now picture this. He can hear the huge crowds coming on the road and all those people talking and all the people walking by. I mean, he's blind. How does he know where Jesus is in this huge throng of crowds, right? He's blind. He can't figure out where Jesus is, right? So what does he do? He just shouts probably as loud as he could over everybody else's voice as loud as he possibly could. And, and what does he say? And you can hear the, the desperation in his voice, right? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I, I, I just really think that's amazing. First of all, he says, Jesus, son of David. Um, in, that was a messianic title, son of David. The Jews knew what that meant. That, uh, again, that was the title because they knew the Messiah would come from the line of David. So when he says that about Jesus, he is in faith saying out loud in front of everybody and hopefully in the ears of Jesus that I understand, Jesus, you're just not from Nazareth. You're not just a prophet. You're just not, you know, one of the good teachers that have been around and, and will be you know, have come before you and will come after you. No, no, you're the one spoken of, of coming to fulfill the promises in Scripture. And I am acknowledging that. And I don't come demanding. I come because I realize what I need from you, Jesus, is this, mercy. I, I, again, think, I think it's so important. You know, he doesn't come thinking that God owes him something. A, a lot of people kind of have this attitude, right? Well, you know, I'm blind, so that's just not fair. Why me? You know, why did this happen? If God really loved me, would he allow me to be blind? I mean, if God really, you know, you've heard all those people, people say that to you over the years, and you, you know all that. You know, if God was, then he would. If God was love, then, then this would happen, or this wouldn't happen, or all this kind of thing. And they, you know, they, they, they want to box up God that, you know, uh, this is what a loving God uh, should be. And they have all their good their reasons, and they've boxed it all up, and packaged it, although that's far from the truth, right? But this is what, if it was a good loving, if there was a good loving God, this is what would happen and this is what wouldn't happen and, you know, in that area. And, and he could have had that whole attitude, right? But he realizes that all he wants from Jesus is mercy. And I just think that's a great heart. It's refreshing to hear 
because he's not questioning and he's not demanding, right? He's not like the rich young ruler. What do I need to do? You got to give me the list of what I need to do. Okay, here's some things to do. I already did all those things. I've been doing those things for a long time. What else do I need to do? Well, here's really what the issue is. Oh, I don't really want to hear that, <laughs> you know, right? Or not like the disciples who, you know, uh, hey, this is what's going to happen to me. This is, I'm going to go and I'm going to suffer. It's going to be awful. And not only on top of the suffering and the long suffering, it's going to be humiliating. And then I'm going to be put to death. But don't worry, I'm going to rise. Well, I don't want to hear all that. You're rising again, okay. But I don't know, you know, not, none of that. He just realizes, Lord, I need mercy. I'm not questioning and then I'm not demanding. And I recognize who you are and I know what I need is mercy. Well, verse 39 tells us, And those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So again, <laughs> picture this. He doesn't know where Jesus is. So he's yelling at the top of his voice. But it seems like there's just the, the people ahead of Jesus are coming in and others probably standing around, you know, watching this procession coming in. And, and some of those ahead of Jesus, they're like, hey, just be quiet. You're too loud. As my old friend Cisco would say, shut the yapper. Man, you're annoying. <laughs> right? Oh, man. You're just screaming. And I'm right here. Hello. Right? That's what I always say all the time. But it just shows you how the blind man was desperate for Jesus. He won't be embarrassed and he won't shut up. Right? Uh, again, I like that. He, he knows it and he's not going to be embarrassed and he's not going to be shut down or put down by other people around him. And I think that's an important lesson for us today, right? I mean, those kind of people are around today who will say to us, well, don't get too crazy about Jesus. You know, just calm down, take a breath. Yes, you can believe in Jesus and, you know, you can go to, to church uh, uh, once in a while, but you just don't want to go overboard with this whole kind of thing. And, you know, uh, just, just, just take a breath and, and you can, you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to be so into all this. Just remind us, don't let anybody silence you calling out to Jesus. Don't fall for people telling you to mellow out about Jesus. That Why are you going to church on Wednesday night? I mean, come on, that's got to be the craziest thing in the world. Who goes to church on Wednesday night? I mean, it's bad enough you go on Sunday, but man, you, you go twice a week? That would just be, uh, that's a little too radical, right? You know, or, or yeah, just give this to the church. You don't have, why are you spending so much time there? Why are you giving this, you know? Don't get carried away. That's too much. That's enough. They only need this. They only need this much time. They only need this much money. They need this, you know, help or whatever it might be. Or, you know, you're spending time, you know, doing this for the gospel or, or, or whatever it might be. Those are those kind of people that are trying to, they're still out there and they're still trying to keep us quiet and they don't want, uh, you know, uh, they, they just... You don't have to get all crazy and carried away about this. Just be quiet and, you know, just he's going to come by. Just be happy that you're in the presence of Jesus. And that's good enough. Settle for that. Well, he wasn't going to be intimidated by that. He wasn't going to be stopped by that. And so verse 40 tells us, So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. Now, again, I, I don't always bring up all the other gospel stories, but I, I think this is relevant in Mark the same story in Mark 10. Remember I tell you that the, the gospel, it gives us the most detail. 
It says this, and this is the New Living Translation. It says, when Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come near. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. And Bartimaeus, which is when we learn his name, threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. Now, I, I want to put this in is because, you know what, um, it, it tells us that Jesus heard him and said, yeah, bring the guy over here. You know, and again, there was two of them, but bring him over here. Let him come over here. And, and you know what he did? He threw aside his coat. And, and I, I, I only want to point this out is because he abandoned probably the most or maybe the only item he, the most important or maybe one of the only few items that he had owned. I mean, this coat kept him warm uh, when it was cold outside. If you've been down in the desert, you know how cold it can get down there. Uh, and of course, he's blind. And I believe he probably used that as kind of his sleeping bag and as something to sit on the rocks. I mean, this was an important and maybe one of the most important things or maybe one of the only things that he actually owned besides whatever clothes he had on his body. But when he hears that Jesus is calling him, he doesn't care about the only thing he owns. Just somebody grab my hand and lead me over to Jesus. Forget about everything. I, I, he's calling me over. He wants to do work. I want to be there. I'm not going to let anything hinder me. So much unlike the rich young ruler who wouldn't give up his ab abundance, this guy throws away what little he has or sets it aside, doesn't care about it, Hey, watch my, my jacket or my sleeping bag or my, you know, thing that I sit on, right? Make sure nobody, you know, walks off of it or what. He doesn't care about any of that stuff. Just totally, totally the opposite of that rich young ruler who wouldn't give up his abundance. This guy was ready to pull all that aside. And that man wanted to know from Jesus, you know, uh, what to do, the rich young ruler. And this guy just wants mercy, Right? Tell me what I need to do. This guy says, I don't care about any of that stuff. Jesus, I know I need mercy, mercy from you. And I like that because nothing was more important to him than going to Jesus. I mean, I think that's an important thing for us to know and say today. Nothing was hindering him from coming to Jesus and he wasn't going to let anything stop him. And I think that's great and that's wonderful and that's the heart that we need to come, not demanding, not asking, not telling, well, uh, if you're not going to do this, then I'm not going to do that, or, any, you know, just, Lord, I need your mercy. And it goes on to say, and when he came near, uh, when he had come near, he asked him, saying, what do you want me to do for you? <laughs> I love this about Jesus, right? Because, you know, we want to give a big fat, duh, I mean, the guy's blind. I mean, isn't that like obvious, Jesus? Why in the world are you asking him what he wants? Because, you know, I look at that and I go, Jesus, come on. You know everything. You already know what he wants. First off, let's just put that one hands down, right? But, you know, uh, but to everybody else, well, what do you want? And, you know, I, I mean, I'd be like, what? He's blind, right? I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? Yet Jesus wants to ask him. There's a reason behind that. It's important for us today. It's important for Bartimaeus in his day and for everybody listening. It's important for us today and, and everybody listening. 
is Jesus wants us to express to him our need. He wants to hear it. I don't know about you, I get tired of hearing the needs of people at times. Oh, I need this, I want that, can you do this, can you do that, can you do this? And whether it's at work or every place else or whatever, you, you know, uh, uh, this, all that, uh, you know, uh, oh man, please don't tell me what you want me to do, you know, or please don't tell me what you need or any of this kind of stuff. You, you know, that might be our hearts at the end of a day or, you know, at certain situations, circumstances, but that is not who Jesus is. He wants us to engage with him. And in our case, it's through prayer and expressing our needs and our desires. Have mercy. Tell me what's going on. Because it's a relationship he wants. It's, you got to get out of the thinking of the rich young ruler who says, what do I need to do? Because that is the heart of all religions and the heart of just, you know, religion inside of a, a, the bigger blanket, if you would, title of Christianity. I know I need to do something to get something. I know I need to do something to earn something because that's the way it works. Whether it's a, 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 an employer to employee relationship, if I work hard, I should get this. You know, if I put the time in, I should get paid this way. Uh, I should get promotion. I should get recognized, whatever, blah, blah, blah. We think about that. But it even happens in our, in our more intimate relationship. If I show you love, I expect to get love in return. If I do this for you, I expect to get, you know, this, you know, back from you. Because it's just pervasive in, in everything we do, but it's absent in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And we always want to apply this stuff in the world with, you know, stuff that's in this direction with the relationship with our Heavenly Father. See, when you come to me, tell me what you need. What's going on? Tell me how you're, you know, feeling about this. Tell me whatever it might be. That develops relationship. The rich young ruler didn't get that. It's a matter of what I have to do. And Jesus gave him something to do, but he wasn't interested in going any farther than do's or don'ts, and he didn't like the do, so that's the end of the story, and he walked away sad. He wants the relationship with us. And I believe he says the same thing to us today. What do you want me to do for you? I died for you. I went through that suffering and that shame, humiliation, and, and, and all that torture, we would call it today, right? For you. I'm here for you. I want you to come for me. I want you to call out for me. I want you to be close to me. And I guess we have to ask ourselves the question, how, how do we come to our Lord? Are we more like the rich young ruler? Okay, Lord, what do I need to do to get this fixed or get this changed or get this done or change this situation? Or is it more like this blind man Bartimaeus? You know, I want you to give me mercy and I'm willing to talk to you and I know you want me to talk to you and I know you want me to bring that out and, and you know, I want to be close. Again, that's what he wants, a relationship. And Jesus is trying to bring that out of this guy. So verse 41 finishes up and he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. The blind man knew how to submit to Jesus because he calls him Lord, first off. 
He addresses, he, he gives him that respect, knew who he was un, uh, in faith, you know, believed that he was the Messiah, the one, the son of David coming. And when he's actually conversing with them up close and personal here, he addresses him as Lord. He is, that, that, again, I know that you're above me. I, I'm, I'm asking you to do this. I'm not demanding you. I'm not doing that. I, I, I'm asking you, I, I need mercy and I, and I like to have my sight. And then Jesus replies in verse 42, and he says to him, Receive your sight, your faith has made you well. We see the great work of faith working through this man. Let me just summarize for you. He called out to Jesus in faith. He wouldn't be quiet because of his faith and his hope in Jesus, right? That he's going to do something. He sought mercy by faith, right? He threw aside his jacket or his sleeping bag or what he had by faith. He trusted that Jesus was the one who could help him by faith. And he asked Jesus to heal him. And he trusted that he could by faith. And let me just tell you, that was the linking between the need and the cure. Faith is of great value in the kingdom of heaven. That simple trust, that recognizing, again, our submission and our need for mercy and the fact that we need to trust what you say. Um, Hebrews uh, 11, of course, is the faith chapter most of us all know, but I put it up there again for us to remember. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Uh, I learned it in the King James, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You want to know the definition of faith? Here you go. It's right there. And that's what blind Bartimaeus showed here. And it shows the importance of faith because this is what people that have gone before us, that's what that second sentence really tells us, the ancients were commended for. This is what... Um, made the people that gone before us, and particularly the book of Hebrews is talking about Old Testament believers at this point, because again, the New Testament hadn't been put together and, and finished yet. But he's talking about, those were, that's what made all those guys that came before us great in Scripture was because of their faith. And of course, you know, most of us know the rest of the chapter lists a number of those things. And then he, he starts listening and listening. He finally goes, man, I, I, I could keep going all day. And, and this book would be, you know, a mile long listing all the people. I'm just going to say, I'm going to stop here and say, and there are so many more I could list, but I, you know, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm just going to give you the idea here. Faith is just important. And it's important to show and have that in our lives. The rich young ruler, not so much. Quite frankly, the disciples at this point had even a blindness to it, right? They didn't want to hear what Jesus had to say to them. And it just didn't make sense to them. So they kind of dismissed it out of hand. And then you look at this guy who realizes and comes simply without anything and any preconceived ideas or notions, only faith and trusting that Jesus could do uh, what nobody else could ever do at all at any time, and which is in his case was to receive his sight. And the impact was more than just getting vision, because verse 43 tells us, and immediately he received his sight and followed him 
and note this, glorifying God. If you like to underline or highlight, I think it's great. And this last sentence, and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. And of course, this is always the result of a person that comes to Jesus in faith like this. And you notice the contrast, the way the rich young ruler left sad and dejected and down and bummed out. And yet a person who trusted in Jesus and received by faith and trusted in the word of Jesus and what he said, there is great joy and rejoicing at what the Lord does. And it still happens today in our lives. And so we want to be great people of faith. We don't want to be blinded and we don't want to be, uh, we don't want to have these preconceived ideas like the disciples did of, I just don't like that. And I'm just, I just, just going to kind of move it to the back here. Uh, as we like to say, put a pin in it. I'll, I'll revisit that later on. Um, and, uh, but you know, you about you suffering and being humiliated and dying horribly. I'm sorry. You know, and resurrecting the third day, we'll just have to discuss this later, right? There was no joy or rejoicing for that. There certainly wasn't any rejoice or joy from the rich young ruler. We're told quite the opposite. But in this case, with this guy simply coming to Jesus, asking for mercy, trusting in faith what Jesus would say or do, well, there was great rejoicing not only with Bartimaeus, but with everybody else who was a part of that. And I believe that happens in our lives as well today. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this, Lord. And we ask that you would continue to help us to be people of faith. That's what's important. That we trust in what you say. We trust in your word. We trust in the leading of your Holy Spirit. We take it on faith. We don't have to process it necessarily through our mind. And, 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 and uh, there's just times where you just want to bypass all the intellect and just simply obey. And it's that simple, just, yes, Lord, I know who you are, I know what you've done, I know who you are in my life, and, uh, and, I, and I'm just willing to do it without having to rationalize or realize or understand how it's all going to work out. I just trust you in faith. And that's a simple heart you want. That's what you even said last time about, well, maybe a, a few weeks ago, about you know the children coming and that simple uh, faith, because the kingdom belongs to them, because they just... You know, they just believe so simply, and you say that's just the heart that you want us to have as well. And Lord, uh, help us to remember it's not about what we do either. Uh, we, keep, we keep thinking somehow we earn something, or we earn to be on the good side of you, or you know, we, we you know, earn your uh, whatever it might be because of what we do or we don't do. And Lord, although, you know, there's some truth in that in one sense, but the, re the reality is it comes out of a relationship. It's not, it's not strictly a do and a don't do. And people feel, you know, that just the opposite because that's the way this world works. In almost every area and every way, it's reciprocal. You do something, you get something back. You know, uh, people like to call it karma or something, but that's just not how you work. You want us to come and you want us to build a relationship and you want us to pour out our feelings and our hearts and come to you always in everything in every way. And help us to be those people, Father. Help us to help us to walk in faith. Help us to trust you. Help us to be bold like Bartimaeus here and not letting the shishers shush us. 
And uh, we can be bold, and, and they might think it's crazy or radical or over the edge or anything, Lord, but, but we love you that much, and we don't want to be silenced by, by those things. We want, to be, uh, we want to be joyful and rejoice and talk about those things and show how wonderful you are. And we're not, uh, we're not hiding it from anybody or, you know, allowing anybody to close that down and say it, tell us not to get too radical or too overboard about this. You know, we need to take it with moderation. Uh, not so. And uh, help us to be those people. And thank you for these stories and lessons, Lord, that you teach us today. And bless them, draw us close, and may we just commit these things to our hearts and to our minds, for we ask this in Jesus' name.